The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me on Psych Up Live. Today we're going to be talking about relationships. We're asking the question, are you in love or in a narcissistic abuse syndrome? Our guest and expert today is Ross Rosenberg. He's a returning guest to Psych Up Live. Ross Rosenberg is a psychotherapist, an international speaker, and he's the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome, The Codependent Narcissist Trap which has just come out in its expanded 2018 edition. Ross's books have sold 65,000 copies and inspired his YouTube channel, which has reached 8 million views. Ross owns clinical care consultants in Chicago and the Self-Love Recovery Institute, an educational company promoting personal and professional development. Ross Rosenberg, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Well, thank you. It's so nice to be back. We had such a great conversation the last time. Thanks. Ross, let's start by answering the question, what is the survive, what is the human magnet syndrome? And what is narcissistic abuse syndrome? Wow, <laughs> that's a big question. Well, okay. the, human magnet syndrome, <laughs> the human magnet syndrome is, um, is, is how I describe the relationship or the attraction pattern between narcissists and codependents. Someone who is a caregiver, who's altruistic and sympathetic, compassionate, super empathetic, that is the codependent, always wanting to help and sacrifice. They're always, they're always attracted to unconsciously to the narcissist who is their opposite, who's the selfish, self-centered, entitled, pushy, sometimes aggressive. So like two opposite magnets, the North Pole and the South Pole, opposites attract, and it's so powerful, it's mistaken for chemistry, when in fact it's just an unconscious process that goes all the way back to uh, their childhood. Like dancers in a dance, the follower needs um, the follower needs the leader and the leader needs the follower so that's the human magnet syndrome and which is the name of my new book mm-hmm. narcissistic yep. abuse syndrome go ahead go ahead sorry well I was going to say I love the way you say to people it's going to start out where you're going to feel like soulmates but you're actually going to end up as cellmates yes that's it's funny, um, you know, my father, who, who I openly talk about in, in the revision of my new book, uh, who, was a, uh, who was the textbook poster child for narcissistic, um, a narcissistic parent, um, 
he contributed just a few things to the book, other than <laughs> my very difficult childhood that probably made me figure this out and to write it all. But he did say once, you know, that that if you fall in love, it's going to start off as a soulmate, and she's going to turn into a cellmate. And he thought it was a joke, but it, I learned that it's quite true. Yes, the, right. The, the experience of chemistry is a human experience. Everyone, when, when, the, when the personalities align just right, and I explain in my book, they're opposite personalities, whether they're healthy or not, you feel this intense excitement. That's chemistry. But the chemistry for the narcissist and the codependent is off the charts. It is euphoric. I mean, don't sleep, don't eat, can't think, have sex much more quickly than you ever thought you would. That is the attraction that starts off like a soulmate, the best friend, love at first sight, then inevitably um, um, devolves into a cellmate situation where the narcissist then takes their mask off and they, they, they become and they become um, they start to be them real their real selves and the codependent who doesn't know how to get out of the relationship and who's so afraid of being alone and lonely stays in and it becomes the cellmate. So let's talk about this narcissistic person. What, what type mm-hmm. of person becomes the narcissistic abuser in this syndrome? I explained I explain in my book that, uh, that narcissistic codependents come from the same family, the same parents. A child, um, uh, whether you're um, an ape, a monkey, or a human being, um, advanced uh, primates and humans, we need nurturing affection and tenderness or what we call in the psychology field a positive attachment experience during childhood. If a child does not uh, feel unconditionally loved, safe, revered, there's something that's going to happen uh, to them psychologically. And there's two paths. The child who can figure out how to mold themselves into the fantasy parent that that the narcissist always wanted to be. The, The child who can uh, sacrifice their own reality and be the good little girl, the good little boy, the soldier, the princess, or even just the one that just takes care of everyone or the one that just doesn't cause any trouble, that child makes the, the parent happy. So that their trajectory is going to be the codependent. They learn mm-hmm. to sacrifice their needs, but the child cannot make the parent feel good about themselves, make them feel like they are a gift to the parent. They They... They cause narcissistic injuries, enrage the parent. That's a child that is deemed the bad seed, the bad kid. The parent, just like any narcissist, if you don't, if you don't make the narcissist feel good, they will automatically not like you. If, if not, try to hurt you. That child mm-hmm. is born into a perilous environment. So that child never gets anything and only learns the, the only, and this child that only learns the, the way she's going to be taken care of is by taking care of herself. So narcissists, come from the same families, it depends on your developmental relationship with the narcissistic parent. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And it fits in to what I often think about and some people will, of course, write about is underneath that narcissistic demand is really tremendous shame and well-hidden dependency. They never got it with the parent. And so I love what you're saying. They demand it from others. So with that in mind, go ahead. I'd like to add add that the shame that the narcissists feel, it is so much deeper and bigger than the shame that uh, codependents feel. The difference is they don't know about it. 
hidden, but it's exponentially bigger. Yep. So if we now put this into everyday life with folks, I want to say to you, Ross, some of the finest and smartest folks I've ever worked with end up in relationships with narcissists. So if we were to translate it into warning signs, if I just met someone or now I'm into it a month or so, and I really think, well, it was so magical at the beginning. What are some of the warning signs that I may actually be with a narcissist who has deep hidden shame but is acting a certain way with me? What are some of the warning signs I might see? See, before I answer that question, I have to say that um, the person who ends up with a narcissist um, will end up with them, and as you said, independent of their intelligence, independent of their experience, if they have the psychological trauma, as I described in their childhood, and they have not resolved it, and they will ignore uh, the red flags. So I'm, I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to give you the red flags, but I promise you and your listeners that uh, identifying the red flags are never enough because the codependent is going to be oblivious to them. They're going to be so in need of, um, of getting rid of their intense loneliness that they're going to not only not see the red flags, but are going to see the opposite. But some of the red flags to watch out for is someone, uh, someone who's a pathological narcissist, is someone who uh, is larger than life, who seems to take control of conversations, who, um, who depends on charm, sex appeal, um, 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 grandiose pronouncements of themselves. You know, I, I am the best at this. I am great at that. They also will talk about how much the world has been difficult and they haven't had a chance. And they describe themselves as victims. And they talk about other people as being harmful and hurtful. And they don't take responsibility for the problems. You know, so, so if you meet someone, they'll talk about, I just got fired. And, you know, I, you know, I was their best worker there. And, and I tried to tell my boss that he was making a mistake and, and the SLB fired me. When telling stories like that, they have no idea that... Uh, what happened to them badly was about them. So they're right. overly vain and, and, and sometimes entitled and, and of, of course, I think I believe I said self-centered. Mm-hmm. And very, very hard to self-reflect or to even see the other person as separate from themselves. It's all about them and all about their needs. And you're really right. Whether I have had wonderful folks in groups and the group is screaming out the warning signs and the person simply cannot, is mystified because they're holding on so strongly to this uh, magnet and this intense codependency. Often, and I know you write about this and it fits in with the loneliness, is as friends and family are trying to point out, but don't you see what she's doing? Do you not see what he's saying and he's been involved with other people and he keeps lying to you and he's gaslighting you? Other people start to pull away because they just can't even watch it, which leaves our person really alone now listening to the narcissist. And let's go to gaslighting for a moment because it's something people sure, relate actually, can to. I make a com- I like to make a comment. With sure, what said, sure. So, so um, what happens is um, they uh, they are oblivious to what others other people tell them or in denial. So we have to understand that codependency behaves very much like an addiction. So you think of anyone who's addicted to a drug, 
who's got DUIs, you know, who's caught, has horrible consequences, that drug feels so good to them while they're using it. And, and the next day, they feel bad and they make promises and they can't keep them because once withdrawals kick in, it, it commandeers their logic, it commandeers their common sense. And it's so important to fulfill that lonely ache, that shame-based lonely ache that codependents have, which if we look at it as an addiction, we'll understand why they are so um, incapable of taking feedback and instruction from therapists' best friends because they need something that they believe is going to sustain them when, in fact, it's tearing them down. Yes, it is a fix that works for a little bit, but then like anything else, starts to take and take. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you brought in the addictive piece of it because often I say to people, do you notice that in most relationships that are great, you feel healthier, you do better at work, your friends move around you. In this situation, physically you don't feel well, emotionally you don't feel well, and nobody wants to stay, which is very much the way people feel when their friend is using a drug. Right. And, 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 and what happens is the drug lies to them. The drug has its, you know, people used to call a drug the monkey on my back. The drug has its own personality. The drug does not ever want to go away. So when you try to quit it, it actually messes with your cognitive processes. It starts to um, mess with your thinking, and it makes you think that, hey, this person who has beaten you up or has ridiculed you or hurt you and your kids, you start to pine over memories of tenderness. You start to miss the sex. You start to go into crazy thinking, and you remember positive things while surgically removing everything that's negative. And the next thing they know, they have broken their no-contact promise, and they're in the arms of the narcissist. Absolutely. One man said to me, the difference in addict, being addicted to a person is if you're addicted to alcohol, the alcohol is not texting you and calling you. If it's a person, <laughs> it's much, much, That's, much, much harder. Right. Now, and, and I would like to add, I'd like yeah. to add that if, if the narcissist is texting you um, and you're an addict, you are going to distort <laughs> that and see it for what it's not. Just like um, um, the alcoholic looks at a to bottle Jack Daniels and starts to remember the wonderful time drinking and sees it as his buddy and wakes up in a pool of vomit and says, oh my gosh. Yeah, you're, you're making such an important uh, point to our listeners that, you know, you can easily get into a whole blame piece from this, Ross, where you feel even yeah. less than and no one will ever want me. I have to hang on to this person. So, I mean, you're making it clear Thanks to childhoods that we don't control, often we come into this relationship game with scars that we did not inflict on ourselves. But the whole point of your work and the self-recovery work and the self-love recovery work is Mm -hmm. to let people know you didn't make this happen, but it's a very rough forest to get out of, but it's possible. Actually, that's not what I say, but it's very close. What I say is, um, and what I say is very different from anyone else. I say you did make this happen. Now it's not your fault that um, that you were uh, neglected or abused as a child, but you chose the narcissist. The only way that the codependent is going to break free from this horrible um, disorder is they have to take responsibility and understand that they are a partner to this dance. 
But there's so many people out there, uh, whether they're coaches or psychotherapists, uh, that are saying, you know, just it's narcissistic abuse, get away from the narcissist, be safe, listen to me. It doesn't work because the codependent actively participates in the relationship. Now, my, my goal is not to shame codependents. My goal is to say what they already know. They are making decisions. They are um, deciding to be with a narcissist over the care of their children, over their job. And once you take responsibility, you, then you can solve a problem. You can't fix this codependency thing if you play the victim when you are a part of the relationship. For sure. I, I think that makes sense. What I'm referring to, and I think you, you've already mentioned it, and it's part of your recovery, is that early childhood trauma. And the fact that that's there, what you do with it, of course, is your choice, but it doesn't start out with you. But owning the fact that you keep finding these people is certainly a very important piece in starting to be able to look toward different partners. I like what you're yeah. saying. Um, one of the things that I want us to uh, focus on a little bit, we're going we're gonna to take a brief break, is the whole idea of gaslighting. Because as someone may be picking a partner, as you and I know, once this becomes an invested codependency, it's hard to know what's really happening and to see the forest for the trees until you start to look at what some of the techniques are that are being used and that you're buying into. So let's come back and talk about guest lighting. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We have an important show about relationships here. We're talking with our expert and guest, Ross Rosenberg. He's the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome, The Codependent Narcissist Trap. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. What's your coffee story? The one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My favorite coffee story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Every day, we're surrounded by technical buzzwords and jargon that can go way over our heads. Now, there's a show that brings it all back down to earth. Tune in for today, Tomorrow's Technologies, with host Jose Negron. We'll not only explain the new technologies that are shaping our world, we'll give you the benefits and backstory of these technologies. Listen for T3 with Jose Negron, live every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Ross Rosenberg, and we were just speaking about the relationship between a narcissistic person whose shame and dependency is hidden even from them and a dependent person who thinks they need this narcissist no matter what goes on in even an addictive kind of way. And one of the things that Ross writes about in terms of the uh, dynamics that go on between both of these is the gaslighting by the narcissist toward the codependent person who doesn't love themselves enough. Let's talk a little bit about that, Ross. Well, one of the one you know, one of the things that I like to do is I like to, you know, from my own personal exploration, whether it's my own therapy or, or, or my work with my clients, is I try to figure out concepts that haven't really been worked out in their full detail. And one of those is gaslighting. And, you know, there's a lot of people talking about it. It, it. The first version of it was, you know, in a movie in the 40s. So I decided to take a deeper look into it and, and connect it to um, codependency. So gaslighting, by definition, is, is when someone tries to manipulate their environment to manipulate their thinking, manipulate their thoughts in order to make them think that there's something wrong with them. You systematically manipulate someone's environment and you implant this narrative that you are, say, mentally ill, codependent, you know, obese, you know, and you beat someone down with, with this, this manufactured truth. They start to not only believe it, but they start to act that way. So the, the, the pathological narcissist um, implants the narrative that something is wrong. They make they prove it to the the codependent. The codependent starts to believe it, and then they start to degrade psychologically, personally, emotionally. And the further they degrade, the further the more they're needy. The more that they need to depend on the narcissist, and then the narcissist has them completely controlled, and mm-hmm. there's no way out. Yeah. And I like the way you talk about the gaslighting often involving negative narratives that the person starts to believe in. Ross, I once had a woman who was the head of a college English department. Well, when the the scene happened with her and the narcissistic, allegedly brilliant husband, 
She said, how will I ever go on? How will I socialize? I don't know anything about politics. I don't read. And I said, right. what do you mean? What do you mean you don't read? You're the head of an English college department. No, right. no, I, I don't read the things he reads. I don't read the latest. So she had she bought it. She had really taken in the thought she was far less intelligent and capable of ever socializing without this person. It, it, these narratives are, you know, they're absorbed and they are so crippling. Yeah, so, so really what's, what happens is, uh, and understand gaslighting is understand that the gaslighter has, is a sociopath, has um, um, sociopathic traits. They, they know that the way for them to feel powerful, to be in control, is to, is to uh, manipulate another person and turn them against themselves. Because they're sociopaths, they don't have empathy. Be, um, and the lack of empathy, and I am air-quoting this, works for them because they can turn a person so badly against themselves and take away their children, you know, that their family, their friends, take them away from their job, lead them into mentally... Uh, harmful um, disorders, uh, medical disorders, all they care about is their need for control. And they, and they, because they're sociopaths and often intelligent, they're able, they're, they're able to uh, know exactly what to do to not only um, implant these narratives, but to keep people um, from interacting um, with, the, the, um, with the gaslit person or keep the gaslit person from wanting to interact with the outside world. And, yes. and it, it's, it's, it's so horribly um, damaging. And if you come across the situation, you also often find, as you're suggesting, the person's feeling worse and worse about themselves. They have been pretty much turned off to their friends, so they're not getting any other narrative. They've been isolated from their family. So as you say, it's like the Stockholm Syndrome. They start to believe the uh, only actually, person. I, I, yeah, I think I you used the Stockholm You didn't say it now, but I think. something else. Well, the idea that you become very dependent on the, on the captor, because that's the person yes. who's protecting you, even at a great cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The Stockholm Syndrome. Um, happens um, when the uh, captive starts to identify with the captor and starts to um, have um, fond, altruistic, and, and empathetic uh, feelings for them. Um, the gaslighter um, 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 will inculcate this, will try to build this. It doesn't, it's not always the case in gaslighting. The mm-hmm. Stockholm Syndrome um, can be a part of gaslighting, but... Um, but it definitely, see, gaslighting and brainwashing, and there's different variations of mind control, and I'm not going to go into the differences. But, but when you, when, if you are manipulated to protect the, the captor, the, the, the gaslighter, and you see them as a benevolent person, um, that is when the gaslighting is locked down. There's almost no escape because if someone tries to rescue you, you are brainwashed to go into protective mode. You will not only uh, push them away, but you will tell the gaslighter about it so he can then up the, the, the level of manipulation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that although it's very, very difficult, um, and let's, let's at least give a little ray of hope here. So what happens... 
that sometimes moves, we'll call it the codependent victim, into a place where in therapy work we call it a little bit of a potential space to think twice about what's going on. In the people that you work with, Ross, what affords a tiny bit of a window? Okay, and and I just had that happen to me, uh, client, just recently. And sometimes it's by accident. Um, Sometimes it's a moment in time where someone, um, um, for example, someone might be on the Internet and they will come across my video on gaslighting. And they'll, they'll go, oh, my God, you know, and they'll just get to have this moment of clarity and they'll seek the attention of someone like myself. But I'll tell you that it is one hell of a job breaking down the cognitive distortions of the gaslit person. And it's and so it's possible because they do it. So that's the, the ray of hope. And the ray of hope is to is to reach out to someone and trust that you'll be fine. And then it's, 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 it's a very difficult uphill battle because we're, we're dealing with people who have been brainwashed. We're dealing with people who, um, over time, sometimes one year, five years, 20 years, have, um, have been so successfully manipulated that when you say something that's so incredibly obvious, they look at you with blank eyes and say, no, I just don't understand that. And that's, but I've had so many clients break free from that so there is hope. You just have to get to a therapist who understands pathological narcissism, codependence, the human magnet syndrome. And unfortunately, yes. there's just not, not a lot out there. But if you get to someone, they can help you break free from this, this, this horrible trap. You've, um, you've been exiled. One of the things you say, and I think I've seen it this way, if by some miracle the person does seek professional help, sometimes it's actually someone else who's been through it in a group, Ross, who says, Mm -hmm. I know that place you've been in, and I know what we're saying you're ignoring, but stay here, because there's a way out if you would dare to trust us a little bit. It's a process. And um, as you say in your recovery, self-love recovery steps, it can take some time. Yes, yeah, because and and it's important to understand that that the the gaslit victim, the codependent, was already gaslit in their childhood. And I explain this in the book that the person who is going to be susceptible to gaslighting as an adult is someone who once was a child who had who was manipulated to suspend their reality for that of the, the narcissistic parent, the child who became invisible, who became whatever the narcissistic parent wanted them became, become. That's how they survived their childhood. So you, you, fat, you, fast, you fast forward that into adulthood, and, and you're carrying those wounds of your childhood, and the human magnet syndrome brings you into a relationship with a narcissist. If that narcissist should be a sociopath gaslighter, um, they will find you, just like pedophile can go to, a, can always find that one child who is weak and, and, and has no parental support, who has no parental um, oversight. The, the gaslighting narcissist was exactly the type of codependent to look for, and the codependent will fall prey to that, and then it's downhill from there. 
Yeah, it's interesting when people are on the other side of this, they're literally able to list who the partners were before them that fell prey to this person. Uh, it, it's a very, it's a very interesting thing. The other thing I guess we have to say, and it's, I know people out there probably will agree, is that sometimes you break free of a narcissist, and you don't really take advantage of groups, therapy, support systems, and guess mm-hmm. what? You find another one. Exactly. It's as my, as my uh, therapist once told me, he said, Russ, your problem is you fall with the same um, same woman with a different face. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and the issue the issue goes back to the to not only the human magnet syndrome, but the cause of it. It is it is deep shame and loneliness and poor self-esteem, and you go back to the dance, the opposite matching. The, the person who is lonely and has horrible self-esteem and thinks no one loves them, that person is going to fit perfectly with the narcissist, and the narcissist is going to fit perfectly with the codependent. So that's so, who they know. They, they've only known that. In their childhood, they've only known that love is someone who treats them badly. Right. So, Ross, what was the little opening for you? You're, you're, it's great that you disclose you know this road inside out, personally and professionally. What was the little space that helped you climb out of this role? Oh, uh, there wasn't a little space for me. <laughs> for me, <laughs> okay. um, um, <laughs> I wish there was, but um, um, I, I've been uh, divorced twice, and first uh, divorce was um, horribly traumatic. Uh, I had a three-year-old child, and, she, and I believe she was uh, mentally ill and abusive. And, and I went to therapy, and that and I started to piece together what I would later find out are elements of my human magnet syndrome. But it was two years later, after going to therapy, thinking I was lying, I fell in love with, deeply in love, had, had heel, head over heels in love with another pathological narcissist that was just as dysfunctional um, as the uh, first wife. And that marriage lasted three years and it was the shame, the humiliation of that marriage that made me, in the dark place that I ended up in, made me, I came out of it with a promise that I am not going to stop until I figure this out. Because how could I be a therapist and be so messed up? And that is when I put my nose to the grindstone and I was in any type of therapy. I was serious about it. And one little discovery after another helped me understand that, it's not about the other person is my problem. It's about me. It's about mm-hmm. my loneliness. It's mm-hmm. about my lack of self-love. It's about my shame. And, and everything built incrementally. And if someone has been following me for the last six years and knows of my YouTube channel, which, by the way, has been viewed now almost eight and a half million times, wow. they will have seen the progression. In fact, you interviewed me a while ago. And I'm sure yes. you... you you're hearing the progression of my thoughts. Yes. My, my life and my discoveries keep working on these ideas so I can come up with a common sense, logical explanation that is based upon research and psychothera- psycho- psychological theory. It, and so, yes, there was horrible moments, and then there was hundreds of little insights and magical um, realizations. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a break, but I think what we have to say is you not only got yourself out and continue to do that, you brought quite a few people with you, Ross, 
and that that's a big thing, a really big thing. We're going to take well, a break. You. You've, been, you've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're talking with Ross Rosenberg, the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome, The Codependent Narcissistic Trap. We're hearing the personal and the professional side, and we're going to come back and talk about how you do move on, some techniques that might help, some steps that you might take. Stay with us. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Ross Rosenberg, the author of The Human Magnet Syndrome, The Codependent Narcissist Trap. Ross, I, I was asking you, and I think our listeners would love to hear, I asked you how long you've been married now in this very different marriage than the ones you had before. I've been married twelve. I've been married twelve years now, and to Corel, who is my soulmate, <laughs> and definitely not my cellmate. Uh-huh. And we still have, <laughs> we still have problems, and we get mad at each other, and we are normal and healthy. Normal is people that have problems, but don't look to the relationship to find them. They don't need the relationship to feel good about themselves. Corel and I both have self-esteem. We're both 
have self-love. And, and, and we work on ourselves, though, and, and, and that's the hope for your listeners is that, um, that mental health and relational health does not require perfection. It just requires enough self-love that you don't need the relationship to make you feel happy. That's what the narcissist and the, and the codependents need. It's, it's, without the relationship, they feel alone and shamed and lonely in a world that is not very safe. So let me ask you, for those who are not at the at the place that you and your wife are at, how did you manage this loneliness when the second relationship, which was oh, really yeah. a codependency, how, how did you manage that loneliness? I didn't actually manage it well, it, um, and, and 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 I I, um, I had a lot of um, addictive like um, um, behaviors. I was. Um, Desperately trying to run away from it, and was was um, practicing um, self-destructive um, behaviors and activities, and and then when I hit my bottom, and and that's a long story. I'll say for another interview. Um, it, like any addict, it, the, the the shame and self-contempt and hate was so bad. I had only one choice: is to fall apart permanently. Or, or look at the future. And that's when I started to build my, you know, using the 12-step program, um, my sobriety, my recovery, uh, one step at a time, you know, going to a men's group, going, uh, going to a therapist that understood trauma, um, um, changing my lifestyle. And the loneliness, like, like if you think of any movie you've seen or friend that you've know, known who's an alcoholic or a heroin addict or even a, a, a cigarette addict, I went through it, and it was painful, and it sucked. Mm. Um, but I decided that my future was more, more important than um, the pain that I was going through. And because I had a therapist that helped me looking forward, I eventually got over those withdrawals. And I was left with just loneliness. The pathological loneliness is this deep, body wrenching psychological, even physical aid that codependents have when they're out of a relationship. That's why if they, if they should lose a narcissist, no matter what happened, they go through that. They, they're back. Right. And, and so, yeah, that, that would be the short version of, of the answer. Okay. So one of the things that... I know you've run. It's part of the um, recovery program that you offer. Is actually we're saying that in a on, in a kind of broad stroke, a person has to move into self love. They have right. to really come back to themselves. Right. And and in your um, in the new edition of the Human Magnet Syndrome, and I know the new book mm-hmm. that's coming up, you talk about these ten stages. And I know we don't have right. time to go through all of them, but one that was very compelling to me because I've heard it so often is when the person decides to pull away from this narcissist, that, per- that narcissist is coming back strong. And you have a wonderful YouTube on a technique to use when you're dealing with a narcissist. Sure. And uh, maybe sure. you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. So the 10 steps are um, hitting bottom. The second step is learning about the human magnet syndrome, complete upload of new information. The third step is, is understanding and overcoming the addiction. The fourth step is preparing to set boundaries um, with narcissists. The fifth step is setting boundaries in a hostile environment. 
The sixth step is maintaining the boundaries. The seventh step is the deep, um, painful trauma work that you need to do. The eighth step is coming to, um, is, is, the, uh, is the beginning of self-love. And the eighth, ninth step is taking self-love into relationships. And the tenth step is self-love. Um, abundance. That's the codependency cure. And one of the, one of the primary um, tools that help people, especially in stages four, five, and six, when you're getting ready to set boundaries in a hostile environment, is the observe, don't absorb technique. My YouTube video, and, and sometimes I have to pinch myself because I can't believe it. This, these videos have been viewed almost 650,000 times. And <laughs> it teaches. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a rock singer or doing something silly you know, or, or comedian. And by what it's teaching people, what they so desperately need is a strategy to, dis- to emotionally disconnect with a narcissist who's trying to manipulate you because the narcissist wins by keeping you engaged in the relationship. As long as you are fighting them, trying to resist them, trying to stand up for yourself, it's like George Bernard Shaw said, you know, don't wrestle with pigs because you're going to get dirty. And besides, the pig loves to wrestle. <laughs> I mean, so the narcissist is the pig and their home is the wrestling ring. And that their, their strength is only if they can keep you in the wrestling ring. So if you use observe, don't absorb, and you stay emotionally disconnected um, and watch observe the narcissist try to trigger you, try to pull you, try to antagonize you, and not let them in your head or not get triggered, that's absorbing. If you don't let them absorb, you can maintain emotional equanimity and calmness and watch. See, when you can watch someone do something that you know that they're doing, because the first three steps or four steps prepared you, you you stay outside of the wrestling ring and you have all the power. And and it's when you start to fight and you start to try to control. You start to try to cure, you try to change the narcissist they got you by they, they got you yeah, so ODA, yeah. observe don't absorb is a great technique to keep you outside of the narcissist manipulative domain or the pig's wrestling ring yes ODA observe don't absorb now I want to ask you a question that comes from some of the folks I'm working with in this day and age of high tech Ross sometimes the narcissist is coming back with millions of text they are going to try to wear you down. Um, and yeah. what do you tell and how do you, what do you suggest people? How do we adapt? Well, that's that? a great question. And that's a great question because observe, don't absorb. If you work the steps, you already say step four teaches you about what's going to happen when you set the boundaries. Because it doesn't make sense. And what I teach people is, is, is to learn narcissistic abuse syndrome. What, how does their narcissist control them? And, and, and you do, you know, kind of research. And so by the time you set the boundaries, you're going to know already. You're going to predict it. And, and so when they start texting you and harass you, they, they know eventually you're going to say, stop. You're pissing me off. Then you're in the wrestling ring. So when you observe and don't absorb, you look at your phone and you laugh and you say, that's pathetic. He wants me right. to answer. You're not triggered, and you put the phone down. You call AT and T or Verizon, and or if you have it, or on your phone, you block the person, um, and you move on to your day. And you don't let them inside your head. You don't 
rent, give them, uh, what's that saying? Don't rent them space in your rent head. Space, rent space in your head. Right, right. That's great. Yeah, that's, I, that sounds great. So, so ODA is very effective in that. So just so we, we don't uh, miss doing this, I know our listeners are going to want to find you, Ross, find your books, oh, sure. your sites. I do want to say when you hear Ross speak on these YouTubes, you're going to hear a personal expression of his ideas and interests. It's like nothing you've heard before. It's very important to check it out. You're going to really get something from it. So how do they find you, Ross? Well, I, I should say that the YouTubes are excerpts. And uh, from I, on selflovecovery.com, I sell my book. I sell my full-length seminar videos for the general public and professionals. And they're six hours, uh, four hours, and they are in detail, um, whereas YouTubes are, are snippets. Right. Um, so selflovecovery.com, I also have a retreat, a weekend, weekend intensive coming up in September that only has 10 openings and do not allow any more than 10 people. And during that weekend retreat in September, we begin the, the healing process and the understanding to solve self-love deficit disorder, which is my new name for codependency, is we got to get to the trauma that happened in their child, your childhood. So my retreat, my book, my videos, and even my the t-shirts, <laughs> we, have, we, we have some some stuff that we, uh, we, we we're even selling now. And I, I laugh because I never thought I'd be selling t-shirts. <laughs> okay. Terrific. So, so, Ross, yeah. uh, you've shared so much. If you were going to give our listeners a quick take-home message, what could it be? Self-love is the antidote to codependency. That... There's nothing that's going to solve your problem with narcissistic abuse. There's nothing that's going to solve your codependency other than self-love. And if you're a codependent, you don't have an idea of what that is. And the narcissists are going to prevent you from learning about it. Find a therapist that can help you uncover why you ever learned self-love as a child and help you heal that trauma and help you learn to love yourself because I promise you, with self-love abundance, which is the opposite of codependency, you will never want to be with a narcissist again. The human magnet syndrome shifts, and you have a magnetic attraction to someone who's healthy. Terrific. Thank you so much. I want to really thank you, Ross, for not only the years you've taken to get to a wonderful place in your journey, but all the work you've done in helping people restore themselves to self-love. So thanks so much for coming back on Self Psych Up Live. Oh, and thank you for having me. This is just a great pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any prior show as a podcast. This will be a podcast by this evening at 630 uh, Eastern Time. It's on my site. It's on the podcast app of your iPhone, iTunes. Um, It'll be on uh, Ross's site, perhaps. Just drop me a comment or a question, if you'd like, at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly until next week. Please take care. Thanks, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. 